The Dad Presents, Episode 67. It all starts right now. Okay, people. I'm here today with Dr. Ruben Brock. He's a professor of psychology at California University of Pennsylvania. He's the host of House Call with Dr. Ruben Brock, which discusses wellness and lifestyle improvement. And he's also the author of House Call. Doctor, thank you so much for taking time to meet with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. So I, want, I wanted to have you on. Of course, you were, you were introduced to me by a mutual friend, Melissa. So shout out. Thank you, Melissa. And I wanted to have you on to talk to you about... Um, you know, this quarantine and the, the psychological effects it might be having on people as well as, you know, children. We're, we're a parenting podcast. Right. So I wanted oh, to talk okay. about that. Oh, okay. That's cool. Yeah. 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 Um, so we, myself, my wife and I, like most parents, we've been teaching our kids, you know, proper social distancing and, you know, we're like drive to friends' houses and talk to the friends from the car window while they sit on the lawn and <laughs> right. the same for the kids. Yeah. I mean right? You can't get out of the car. Yes. Um, and I'm wondering what this social distancing is going to do to our children long term as it, like, if this goes on, I mean, I mean, we're eventually going to get out of this quarantine, but I imagine we're going to keep practicing social distancing for some time. And I'm wondering what kind of, what kind of effects that might have on children's ability to form healthy relationships. Yeah, that's a really good question, and it's one that uh, is actually getting some traction in my world right now. Uh, and and the answer is, even the experts don't know. Um, mm. But to be fair, we know it's not good. You know, there, there's there's really no question about the fact that this is going to have an impact on us. Um, the question is, you know, with how long this lasts. That that's really the the in my opinion the the mitigating factor is how long we have to do this. If we are socially distancing for a few months, uh, you know, people probably bounce back relatively well. Young people, you know, if you're young enough, if you're, if you're three years old right now, maybe you don't even remember this, but let's say we have to do this social distancing for a year. Right. There are kids who are at, if you're at the right age, there's no question that the lack of social interaction, the lack of socializing skills uh, being learned in, in your daily life will have an impact on your ability to use those skills later because you won't have learned them. There's in, in human development, they have what we call critical periods. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so, you know, imagine for a second you're dropped into a rainforest for the first three years of your life and you have no human interactions. No one speaks to you. No one, you know what I mean? None of the normal stuff that would happen to a kid happens to Tarzan. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, so if that were to be the case and the first three years of your life were like that, there's no question that you, you would have deficits that arguably would never be undone because right. because during the critical time when you learn all the stuff you weren't learning it um and so you know but on the flip side if you're 10 
and we do this for a year. There's going to be an impact, but it's going to be much less. You know, so so there are a lot of factors that go into what this is going to do to us. But what we know is that when you are out in the world interacting with people, you are learning every second of every day. You're learning how to interact with people, what works, what doesn't what you're supposed to do. And so anyone who is not doing that and didn't already have those skills, they are absolutely being impacted. You know, their, their development changes because of this. Sure. And and you're talking about the extreme case of if we're like on house arrest for a year, right. but I'm even, I'm, I'm even extending it to once we go back to school, let's say we go back to school, um, end of May, for example. Okay. Um, even then they're going to have the children, you know, basically, distancing uh, all of society we're going to be distancing yes. for a while you know True. like not touching each other right so what kind of effects will that have on a kid when they're when they're on the playground and they're told you know like don't touch your buddy joey yeah yeah it, it that is that's a really interesting nuance to think about um and and you're right that there's going to be an impact uh and and i think and this is speculation and this hasn't happened in america and something like I, I think i read it was like it's been 100 years since there's been this kind of an issue um so there's not a ton of experience with it but um you know there's no question it sends a confusing message if you tell a young person a four-year-old on the playground don't touch your friend um, right. and th- they're gonna wonder well why why don't i you know is there something wrong with him or is there something wrong with me you know what i mean because mm-hmm. they're not necessarily going to understand well there's this virus and we're trying to make sure that we reduce the, you know they don't get any of that stuff so the message they're going to get is that there's a problem with someone and the danger is that the person believes Okay, there's there's something wrong with me. That's why I'm not allowed to touch everybody. You know what I mean? Um, right. That's the real fear. And again, you know, we learn about how to care about other people, about how to think about other people's feelings from all those kinds of things. You know, when when you touch your friend and your mom says, "Hey, be careful," but you, you got to go easy. You know, you learn something in that moment, something that no one even thinks about because they don't mean to be teaching you about, you know being careful and those are those are things that just happen right but if we remove that uh it it changes things and and so i i do think that if it goes on too long uh, you'll notice that there's going to be a crop of young people that that are growing up going into first second grade and they're just a little bit different um and and, but that's also already yeah it seems like it might like make everybody like I, I know it's not the right word, but slightly autistic socially, maybe. And, and believe it or not, you hit the nail on the head. That's that's exactly what it is. It's going to be uh-huh. so. So autism is, you know, the hallmark of autism is just an inability to manage interpersonal stuff in the in the normal way, the quote unquote normal way. Um, right. And and so you don't read social cues, you don't understand some of that reciprocity, the social reciprocity stuff. And so, yeah, if you remove the normal amount of social interaction in a young person at the right time, they could grow up just not having those skills and it will present similar to autism. Yeah, that's scary. That's that's scary. It it really is. But the flip side of that, what I would say is we're already, we're already seeing these problems. Uh, and, Mm -hmm. and I say that because, you know, in my practice over the last few years, I've been seeing just, uh, 
more and more deficit. Okay, the, let me let me ask you about that. Go um, for it. it. So the deficit, you're already seeing that before all of this. Yes. Would that have anything to do with how much children are constantly just like on their iPad instead of out playing together? That's all it is. It's it's a hundred percent that. Yeah. Um, okay. uh, you know, I really really struggle with talking to parents about how to manage that because my, you know, I, I've been in practice uh, for the last six years in, in private practice, but I've been in mental health for 21 years. And, and what I've just seen over the last maybe decade is just a gradual decline in the, the abilities of young people as far as social interaction. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not running studies on this, but what I am seeing anecdotally is that the this the social skills are going as the as the amount of electronics social interaction type stuff goes up right so because young people for example are far more comfortable with text messages snapchat um you know mm-hmm. what's the other one called i don't remember what it's called but but they're more they're they're more comfortable and and ad, ad, averse to to their so they're now becoming averse to picking up a phone and, and actually making a phone call uh, because yeah. it feels uncomfortable for them. They're like, I mean, I actually had a young person say, "Well, but what happens whenever there's like that awkward pause?" And I'm yeah. like, you know what I mean? They, they I don't, don't think that's just the kids, though. I think that's everybody. You're 100 you know? percent right. You know, I prefer you, texting people to calling them now too because of that awkward pause. That, that's exactly right. So yeah. even even us adults. We are adapting our environments based on our tendency to lean on technology. But think about a young person. I mean, you, I don't know how old you are, but but I oh. had probably 20 years of life in me before I ever got a cell phone. Sure, me too. Mm-hmm. So, so all of your developmental years, you spent them doing it old school, right? Right. But there are young people out there who don't have... 20 years of social interaction on top of their ability to text message. All they yeah. have is the ability to text message. I know. Yeah. My, my, 10 year old has a cell phone. So what we get, uh, people write in to the show and ask questions about parenting and, and we try to answer them, but I'm not an expert. Right. And one question we get a lot is how much iPad time is too much iPad time. Now I'll tell you what, I, what I do for my kids. Um, we let them have the iPad three days a week, for two hours each time they have it, and then we cut them off. Okay. And we're pretty strict about that. Now, during this quarantine, we've kind of just thrown that out the window. Yep. Um, and I'm not sure if that's the right strategy, but it's the only way everybody in this house can can cope and not murder each other. <laughs> right. But what, exactly. what do you think? What do you think typically is enough of it? And under these circumstances, does that change? Yeah. So. I really like your original rule, um, and and the answer, the, the real answer, the big picture answer is limits and boundaries, and so you're already doing that, and I would say good for you, and Thanks. I would say during this quarantine, it went out the window for everybody, and and I don't know that that's the right thing, but but I'm big on limits and boundaries, and my son... You have to pay him to leave his room in the last three weeks. You know what I mean? I mean, mm-hmm. and he's always, if he is talking to someone, it's through technology um, because he certainly doesn't want to talk to us. You know, he's 15 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So so he wants to talk to his buddies. And, and so all of our, you know, you can only have it for so long and it's got to be, you know, turned off by this time. All that stuff has gone out of the window. And I think it's 
just what you said. It's that people are, this is survival mode. People are like, listen, we're going to kill each other if I don't let him just kind of do his thing a little bit. Um, yeah. And, and now, I think that eventually if, if this goes on long enough, we'll have to revisit those rules and, and those boundaries. But for right now, it's kind of like, listen, you took all away all of his friends and all of his social interaction. Just let him have his iPad. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Um, all right. So, Thinking then about a fifteen-year-old, that's a whole different ball game. Like I, I'm not prepared for that. Um, I, I don't know how you try to limit a fifteen-year-old when he wants to get on there and Snapchat with his girlfriends and whatever. Right. But I get, I guess I'll figure it out when I get there. Yep. But what about um, single people? I have a lot of single friends. They're at home, and the majority of them, for lack of a better word, keep telling me how horny they're getting. Right. right. Ah, and I'm yeah. think, and I'm thinking about. The, this this whole thing is going to kind of change dating the way that HIV did in the 90s yeah. and even maybe even to a greater degree um what happens to things like like Tinder and just the way people meet and and socialize and find a mate in the world how do, how do you think that changes wow that's a, i mean i never i honestly had not thought about that but you're right because this now creates a scenario where this virus makes it so that when I go to the grocery store, I struggle with the idea of touching the cart, right? So, I mean, yeah. if I had to think about, like, going out with someone now, oh, my goodness. that I mean, I don't even know where you begin. Um, and, and so I do think that it creates an extra barrier that wasn't there. But to be honest with you, it probably creates a barrier that is good to have in the, se- in the sense that we are all now suddenly much more in tune with our hygiene. You know, I wash my hands more (laughs) now than I ever did. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, so maybe this creates a level of awareness of the risk that was already there. You know, the risks were already there and now we're just paying attention to them more. And Mm -hmm. I don't mind that part so much. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think it makes you calculate a little more like how, how badly do I want to kiss that person? That, I was <laughs> you know, literally like, about to say those same words. Yeah. How badly do I really want to do this? You know, might might cut down on drunk hookups and whatnot. Exactly, and and like yeah. I said, I don't mind that. Yeah, well, I I don't mind it either because I'm married, but I don't know how I'd feel about <laughs> it if I'm single. Us, so it's easy for us <laughs> to say that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all right, so uh, on to on to something I've been thinking about, um, and it's kind of an internal conflict myself. Um, I feel like the media, the media prospers by driving fear. They love to drive the fear. It's their bread and butter. Um, And I don't, I don't want to get political here, Okay, but it seems like everybody's kind of divided into two factions. There's the, there's the group where something bad happens like nine 11 or now who they don't trust the media or the politicians and and the authority and they push to rebel. And I kind of fall in that group. I don't, I'm, I'm the non-trusting group. Then you have the group, when something bad happens, they, they put the faith in the leadership and trust that they're going to tell us the truth and push us in the right direction. Why do you think people gravitate to one pole or the other with that? And there's got to be a healthy, like, healthy balance or a right answer. And how do, yeah. we, how do we get to that? Well, the easy one to answer is why do we do that? And we do that because of the way our brains are wired. We are wired to take shortcuts. Um, Your brain just naturally wants to take shortcuts and putting people into boxes 
makes that easier. And so you're going to make the assumption um, that either everyone's out to get you or that, you know what I mean? Like you're, you're going to, it's most people tend to do a little bit, we call it black and white thinking. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and it's just, it's a cognitive bias that, that is really, really common. The way that we undo that is very, very difficult. It, it means that we challenge our own assumptions and really look for and think about the subtleties and nuances. And, and we work to give the people on, quote unquote, the other side, the benefit of the doubt. And that is very, very difficult to do, particularly... Especially right now. Right. I was, I was just about to say, particularly right now, because... Mm-hmm. Because in times of crisis, that's when those shortcuts are actually helpful. You know what I mean? You yeah. Know, the, the reason, the reason, if you go back all the way to the beginning, the reason your brain wants to take those shortcuts is that they're safety. They're for safety reasons. You know what I mean? Things like racism. Uh, the, your brain jumps to that because if you go back far enough, the only way to identify who was safe and who was a danger to you was to make a quick judgment of what, what they look like. So someone that looks different than you naturally you're going to think, is there a danger there? The hard part is we have to be willing to say, well, wait a minute. Sure. That's the shortcut that my brain wants to take, but is it always true? And, and, and you do that by getting to know the people who you have made those quick assumptions about and stuff like that so that Mm -hmm. you have evidence to the contrary. As soon as you have evidence to the contrary, it's difficult to make that shortcut. Yeah. So, I mean, what you're talking about is nuance and I don't think people these days have a whole lot of nuance in them. Well, you're, you're hundred percent right. People, people don't like nuance. People don't want nuance. And, and because they're not looking for nuance, you're certainly not going to just accidentally pick up a sophisticated thought process. You know what I mean? Like that's just not the way it works. Um, and, and it's actually getting worse because of social media. Um, people do this thing we call information grazing. So they'll like just grab a headline or, or a little snippet of information rather than dive in and really dig in and, and read and learn and sure. understand and and so and the people putting out the media, media know that and that's that, why they, they that is exactly the headlines right. that's, that that's why the whole clickbait thing happens because they mm-hmm. know no one's going to actually read this article so if we make the headline salacious enough we'll get a bunch of clicks and it'll be fine um and and so none of that lends itself to people truly being insightful and thoughtful um and so i, I actually fear that we're going in a very bad direction with respect to that kind of stuff yeah. um and and politics i mean you said you don't want to get into politics, but that's really a big place that I see it playing out, um, in a a negative way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know for myself personally, I, I I tend to consider myself a nuanced person, right. But I, 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 I tend to be thoughtful and try to apply logic, but I know I have my, my default positions that I tend to retreat to, As we but I I lived through nine 11, I lived through 2008 and the crash and through both of those, we were lied to and we were taken advantage of and mm-hmm. our, our rights were stripped and money was stolen. So I don't trust. Right. And, and I know that might not be the safest default position for what's going on right now, but I don't, I don't know how to get out of that. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you, to be honest with you, you already are. And, and the reason I say that is you wouldn't be having this conversation with me if you were that stuck in your ways. If you, were, if you weren't willing 
to be reflective and think about, am I being open-minded enough? You know, you, you wouldn't ask that question. The truly closed-minded person isn't having this conversation. So, so give yourself some credit. You, you're doing better than the average person. Um, but the hard part is really to challenge your beliefs, um, to, to go that extra step further and say, well, wait a minute, there's got to be something to what that other guy is saying. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and, sure. And, and really digging in. And, and that's, that's just really, really tough right now because it's kind of become this sort of us versus them society that we live in. Um, and, and in that paradigm, it actually doesn't feel like it's beneficial to you to look at the nuances. You know what I mean? Um, if you think about, you know, the current political climate, I don't care what side you're on. If you're in a meeting of all the people that are on your side and you bring up, Hey, they've got a point when they say this, you'll get run out of that meeting. Um, because people are saying, listen, this is not the time to, to be worried about the nuances right now. It's just, we've got to get our stuff done. Um, yeah, that's so the wrong position. That is exactly right. And everybody, yeah. everybody's retreating further and further into their corners. That's right. And nobody's listening. Right. Um, let me, let me ask you about, this, I mean, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear. I see it with some family members. I see it with mm-hmm. friends. Um, I've, I've always, in, in life in general, I kind of live by the, the philosophy of prepare, don't panic. Okay. Um, you know, like look at a situation, what went wrong, what can you do to fix it? Look mm-hmm. at it logically, and then you take those corrective actions. And then once you've done that, it's out of your hands and, right. and let I it go. worry about it more than that. Yep. Yeah. Um, I see a lot of people, number one, who didn't, didn't prepare and now they're scared. Yeah. I also see people who did prepare and did everything that they're supposed to do and they're still just losing sleep over things that out of are out of their control. Right. The latter group, those people who did everything they can but are still losing sleep, can't can't stop putting things through their mind. And I used to be one of those people. How do you help them get to the point where they can just like let go? Yeah. Well, that is that is literally my world. That's my job is is to help that person find peace, um, and you do that by honestly what you said. I mean, so so for me, it's all it's all, and I'm not a religious person, but when I say this, it'll sound like I am. The Serenity Prayer is something that I regularly apply. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, uh, yeah it 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 is. It is literally the the best thing that you could do for yourself. And, and so, f- for those that don't know, it's, it's something like uh, I always get it wrong. But um, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the wisdom to change, the, or the the strength to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And so, the idea right. is, in every bit of your life, whether there's a crisis going on or not, you got to put things into two boxes: the box of stuff that I can control and the box of stuff I can't control. And the stuff that you can control, you have to do what you have to do about it, right? So, yes. like, with with respect to COVID-19, I can protect myself to the best of my ability by making sure my family wears masks when they leave the house, reducing the number of times they leave the house, um, you know, fortifying us financially so that we won't we don't run out of money or you know all you know making sure the cupboard is stacked with food. Those are the things that I can do. I cannot control how swiftly and rapidly this virus runs through my neighborhood or my community or whatever. I cannot control mm-hmm. whether or not my grandmother gets it. And and therefore, if the things that are in that cannot control box 
if I if I believe I've put them in there correctly, then I have to let it go. I have to say those are the things I can't touch. So, so I just won't touch it. And so it's easy for me to say that. Right. But but it's mm-hmm. also difficult to accept. Well, you know, someone you love might die. Well, the thing is, whether you accept it or not, it's still true. Right. So yeah. uh, and so the, the idea behind that is you will find peace if you recognize that you're going to do all the stuff that you can do and the rest, mm-hmm. you can't do anything about it anyway. Um, and, and then on top of that, you've got to actively work toward peace. So for me, like I, I don't let much time go by without practicing my coping strategies. Like, you know, so, so whatever what are some of those? So for me, it's like golf. Um, mm. I, I like to golf. That's a coping strategy. strategy really? is, and, and, and <laughs> you know, it sounds silly, but, but anything that brings you peace and calms you yeah, down. Is a I, just, I know golfers. It doesn't seem like it brings them much peace. That's a... <laughs> well, that's true. Well, and, and so for me, I agree. And, and the trick there is I've accepted that I'm terrible at it. So I don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. in that box. I can't control that. So, uh-huh. But it, but it's it's relaxing to me because I just go out there and I want to have fun or I want to hit the ball, right? So golfing, fishing, um, sitting and smoking a cigar, you know, the things yeah. that bring me peace, exercising, mm-hmm. eating right, those are the things that I must actively do. I cannot neglect them. They are like the doctor's orders, so to speak, right? So, yeah, um, absolutely. So, you, I mean, you're saying it takes a little effort and work. And oh, I think that's absolutely. the problem. People want the want it to, to be magic. Like, you, you got to yep. have a thing, do the thing, do the right things, put some work into it. Yeah, it's, it's, you're not suddenly going to be at peace. You know, you're not going to wake up one day and be, um, you know, meditating, you know, levitating in the middle of your room, totally at peace. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. work that way. You've got to right. work at it. And, and so I... You know, because of the history of my life, I had to learn to manage that. I had to learn to get the anxiety under control. Um, and so now I'm pretty good at it. And, and so, but I teach people all the time listen, you know, if you practice the right skills, you can be at peace when there's a war literally going on around you. It, I mean, and yeah. it sounds crazy when you say it, but it's the truth. You, you have to choose to engage with the worries. And so, you know, they're there. And I kind of put it off to the side and say, yep, that's a real worry but me worrying about it isn't going to fix it so so there's no benefit to that yeah i think i you're you're definitely absolutely right i mean i i suffered from anxiety when i was young my family suffers from anxiety and yeah you just it's it can be a learned behavior on how to deal with it like you gotta have a thing i I tried i tried meditating i tried all kinds of things that didn't really work for me you got to find a thing that, that works for you and you can deal with it. Right. Yeah. And, and, and that's, a, that's the trick is accepting that the thing that gives me peace might not work for you. So you can't just take my advice. You've got to go through the steps of finding the things that give you peace. And then you've got to be religious about doing those things. Right. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, let me, I, I, I know you probably have things to do. So let me just ask you one more question. Sure. Um, so, at some point, if we stay isolated, let's say this goes on for six months, right? Okay. It's going to start to weigh very heavily on people. And we, you know, last year in this country, 60,000 people killed themselves, mm, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, what, I mean, do you have any kind of insight as to what we can expect 
with in regards to those kind of numbers. Wow, that's powerful. Uh, no, and 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 I will naively hope that we don't see that sort of a spike. Um, and and one thing that that might help in that situation is that the anxiety, the fear, the fear is is. I'm afraid I'm going to, you know, get this virus. It'll be it'll be terminal. I'll die. And so, you know, because of that, some of your kind of survival instincts may kick in uh, and, and you won't jump to, you know, I'm going to spiral and, and lead lead to this place where I take my own life. Uh, right. But what about loneliness and yeah, depression? Well, that, I was going to say the flip side of that is the loneliness part is real, um, is particularly for someone who is single, someone who is relatively, maybe relatively young and, and isn't really used to spending tons of time alone. This can be really, really difficult. Um, and, and I'm most worried for the, for the person who was already a little depressed yeah. Goes into quarantine for a very long time, didn't have strong relationships before the quarantine, and that means they're not going to have anyone that it makes sense for them to kind of, you know, like, I can call my best friend. I can call him every mm-hmm. single day if I want to, because we're already right. best friends. But if you don't have that many friends, when there's a quarantine and you're not going to run into to somebody, this, pre- this creates a really, really difficult scenario for you. And those are the people I'm most worried about. Yeah. I mean, that just made me sad just thinking about that. I mean, yeah. what can those people, what can they possibly do? And that's exactly right. Yeah. If you don't already have a network of supports, being in quarantine basically shines a light on the fact that you don't have that network. Is there, is there anything like anything you can think of if anyone like that's listening like things they can do to feel yeah. better i don't know well so if you are that person if you are that person and you realize wow that's a good point i don't talk to anyone because i didn't have that many close friends and i just kind of saw people at work or i saw people at school uh what do i do now what i would say is believe it or not there are millions of you and so this is the the time and the situation where I would say sh- social media is very, very helpful because if you are willing to be honest and put that out there on social media, um, you know, or, or start a Facebook group for people who are kind of lonely and need to talk, there will be a flock of people that come because you're, you're absolutely not alone. The reason I know you're not alone is that's why I'm in practice. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I know how many people are out there feeling this, you know, it's sort of like, you know, I specialize in teenagers. And so Mm -hmm. I'll have teenagers in my area come to me and say, I feel alone. I feel like I don't have any friends. No one likes me. And you do that long enough and you realize, well, wait a minute, everybody feels that way. You know what I mean? And so then you realize if everybody was willing to acknowledge that they felt that way, you all would have each other, right? You, You now would not be alone because you all have this feeling in common. And so if you go to social media and, and you put it out there in the right circles and, and ask, Hey, is anybody interested in like doing a zoom happy hour or doing a, you know, whatever, um, you'll find some people who are willing. And and I know that feels dangerous because people are like, yeah, but I'll get roasted and blah, blah, blah. But the fact of the matter is you're sitting at home alone right now. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. I I would rather be in. I think that's a great idea. I mean, we, we, 
bash on social media here a lot at the Dad yeah. Presents, but uh, to be honest, we wouldn't have this this podcast with, right. without social media. Right. And this now you're you're bringing up a really great application for it. Like, yeah, you're stuck at home. You're you're alone. You're sad. There's other people in the world out there like you. You can right. you can reach out to them. That's right. I, mean, I mean that's kind of beautiful in a way. Yeah. The the one. I mean, I, I'm really not a fan of social media, which is weird. Just like you said, it, it's weird to be someone who uses social media for a living, and yet I don't like social media, and I and I don't. But I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, right. millions and millions of people are now connected and at your fingertips. If you use that tool in that way, you are suddenly not alone. And I, I can't ignore the power of that. Yeah. I mean, well, social media, I mean, it's, it's here to stay. I mean, let's, right. let's face it, right. it's not, not going, going anywhere. anywhere. Yep. There's, there are a lot of great things about it. It's just the, the negative things about it are so damn annoying. Yeah. Right. So it's, right. it's a, it's a love hate relationship. I think most people have with it. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't, you're, you're in Pittsburgh, right? Correct. I don't know what the situation is there. Are they, are, do they have young quarantine there too? We're out here in California. Yes. We've been at it for a month. We are for about a month now. We have been in a mandatory lockdown. We have a stay at home order. Um, and so unless you're, unless you're an essential business or you're going to the grocery store or going out to do some essential thing, you're theoretically supposed to stay home. Yeah. All right. Yep. Pretty much the same. So, so you're not getting your golf in, obviously. <laughs> right. So, what what kind of things are you doing to keep your time occupied? Well, I feel bad saying this because I recognize the privilege in my statements. Uh, but my backyard is big enough. I actually practice more golf now than I did before the quarantine. Um, Yeah. And and so, you know, I recognize not everybody could say that or do that. Especially Um, out here in California. Well, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I mean, for for me in in this area, having a backyard big enough to practice 60 yard chip shots is nice, but not unheard of. And your work, yeah, you couldn't do that there, (laughs) you know? Um, But yeah, so, so for me, I've been doing a lot of that in, in my backyard, uh, hitting golf balls but i'm also i'm also a self-diagnosed workaholic i work way too much and and so this quarantine has actually given me permission to not work so much and it has just been golden for me i i have taken this opportunity uh to just hang out with the family i've got a nine-month-old baby um and and a wife that i love and a son and and so i have just really thoroughly enjoyed getting back to an old school life of you know sitting down at the dinner table every evening of you know actually yeah. sitting in the living room and talking and the fact of the matter is it's a captive audi- audience because no mm. one has anything else to do <laughs> you know and you can't yeah. leave you know what i mean so yeah, um, yeah but they, they gotta I'm listen so, to your dad jokes now Nothing, right exactly <laughs> nowhere to go. yeah i'm with you on that i mean I work a lot too. I wouldn't call myself a workaholic. Uh, I want to. I would like to be able to retire from work, but I, yeah. I work hard. I, I run a, a couple of businesses. Yep. Um, I've been enjoying the slow down pace. To be, I, I mean, I don't want to sound insensitive because there's so much suffering going no, on out right. there. Yep. But I, I've I've been enjoying it. The family time, you know, yes. just yes. The, the there's less pressure to perform. Um, of course, there's concerns about the next paycheck and whatnot, but I'm, I'm enjoying it. And I think, I think depending on if you're a half glass 
How, what, yep. what is it? Glass, Glass half, half full, full or whatever. Yep. 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 You can, you know, choose to find choose to find the positives in this. You know, you you got that family time, and, yeah. and you know, we're not as we're learning. We're not here forever. We're here for a finite amount of time. time so right. let's make the best of this quarantine yeah. and get you tight with family. family. It's funny that you're saying these things because at at the end of this week on Friday, I'll be doing a lecture. Uh, for through USC actually, and so uh, and I'm the lecture is going to be about um, these very things, and, and and that's what I talk about in this lecture that I prepared. Is listen, we are where we are. This is what it is. So you can choose to look at it as a glass half empty kind of thing if you want to, but there's a mountain of research that shows there's absolutely no benefit to that. So right. so for me, I'm going to highlight and think about how much I enjoy the family time, how much I enjoy slowing down a little bit, all those things. Are the negatives there? Of course they are. But it doesn't help anyone if I dwell on them because the the situation is what it is, right? So Mm -hmm. I'm going to look for what's good about it, and that just helps me get through it. Now, I also, just like you said... I have to be sensitive because that's a very, very privileged position. You know, I'm a professor at a university. And so, you know, I'm still working. I just work from home. And my wife is a VP at a bank. So she's still working. She's just working from home. And so it's easy for me to not worry all that much. You know what I mean? And, and right. if, if you're a waitress, it probably feels totally different. But that doesn't change the fact that we are where we are. And as much as humanly possible, you want to find the, the silver lining in this cloud because otherwise it's pretty ugly. Yeah. I mean, maybe that waitress can discover a, a new passion and a new love and take her life in a different direction. You know, that's exactly right. Gotta gotta try. Try. Right. Um, well, listen, talking to you actually has made me feel better. Not that I've been feeling down, but it, it, right. uh, You've lifted my spirits a little bit, so well, I appreciate I, that. Hey, I'm, I've done my job then. <laughs> All right, so um, why don't you why don't you tell the fans of the Dad Presents where they can find you? I know you got a show. Tell them about that. Uh, yes. So if you wanted to hear more about me and what I do, just look up House Call with Dr. Ruben Brock. Uh, it is on YouTube. It is also on Facebook. Um, and and you could also, if you really got bored, you could find my book somewhere out there. Um, um, I, my book is called A Young Man's Wisdom. It's a, I wrote a book about my childhood. I've, I've had an interesting life, and so I wrote about what it was like growing up without my dad and, and then learning to become a dad and, and what all that meant. Uh, and so oh, that's, wow, that's I, a, that's a whole other episode. We yes, it, it actually, it's, it's, I've had quite a life. Uh, and yeah. so, um, if you wanted to look that up, you could find it, but, but really the easiest way my, my following is most robust on, on Facebook. So if you go into Facebook and look for a house call with Dr. Ruben Brock, you can absolutely find me and, and I'd be happy to talk to you. Excellent. Check it out guys. I will. All right, right, doctor. Thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Take care of that family. All right.